Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Here are all of our favorite Easter eggs in The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power. What's up, Hobbitheads? The holiday season is here, and if you're like me, you like to binge watch and marathon all of your favorite moments in Middle-earth. And now, we have even more to rewatch this year with the first season of The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power. We here at Nerdist have still been scouring and souring through this first season of The Rings of Power to highlight our favorite Easter eggs and references. What is it? What do you see up there? So today, we're going to dive deep into every episode this season so that next time you watch, you can be that friend who always points out that Aragorn broke his toe while kicking that helmet. Of course, we'll need to spoil what happens this season. So look away now in case you don't want to be like me and become the insufferable friend to watch Lord of the Rings with. Whoa, Okay, let's dive into episode one. This is gonna be a lot, since there's a lot of lore right out of the gate. At the very beginning, we already have one of my favorite Easter eggs, and it's in reference to the formation of Middle-earth itself. In the Silmarillion, the all-powerful entity, Eru Iluvatar, created other powerful beings known as the Ainur. In the darkness of The Void, the Ainur sang a beautiful song that manifested into the physical world. The Rings of Power begins with a chorus singing over black, and we later see in the credits how with the use of cymatics, sound waves take form and shape with the sand and particles. Also in the credits, you can see a darker sand weave its way into the patterns. During the music of the Ainur, Melkor, who would later be known as Morgoth, composed his own dissonance to the rest of the Ainur's themes, symbolizing his evil schemes in the grander design of Iluvatar. Moving on, we have Galadriel's prologue, which itself is a parallel to Galadriel's prologue in Peter Jackson's trilogy. Her first line, nothing is evil in the beginning, could actually be in reference to Sauron. Sauron once allied himself with Aule, the smith of the Valar, before Sauron joined the forces of Morgoth. As we learn later, Sauron wants to repent for his evil ways, but fears the punishment of the Valar, which leads to his goal of dominance over Middle-earth. Also in Galadriel's prologue, her connection to water becomes an important theme, especially with her brother's lesson about good and evil. Her swan boat alludes to her mother's Teleri elven background and foreshadows her swan boats in Lothlorien. As we see at the end of this season, Galadriel wears Ninja, the elven ring of water, with the power of preservation and concealment from evil. As Galadriel explains the destruction of the trees of Valinor, we see a quick silhouette of Morgoth's shadow and some faint strands of spiderwebs. Morgoth allied himself with Ungoliant, a giant spider, to destroy the trees. Ungoliant would birth other giant spiders, including Shelob, who we later meet when she attacks Frodo and Sam. Next we see the Oath of Feanor. Feanor was the great elven smith who used the light of the trees of Valinor to forge the three great jewels known as the Silmarils. After Morgoth destroyed the trees, he stole the Silmarils, and Feanor and his sons vowed to retrieve them no matter what. This vow renounced the Valar and sent the Noldor elves on their tragic quest after Morgoth. 
In the show's opening, this oath is changed a bit to include Finrod as part of this group, but Finrod was actually a son of Feanor's half-brother, Finarfin. As we continue into the War of the Jewels, we get an amalgam of its major battles, including the Dagor Bragalach, also known as the Battle of Sudden Flame, the Nurnaeth Arnuidiad, the Battle of Unnumbered Tears, and also the War of Wrath, which ended the war against Morgoth and sank the land of Beleriand beneath the sea. Galadriel places a helmet on a mound of armor, referencing the Houthin Ninaeth, the Hill of the Slain, a giant hill made from the bodies of elves who died during the Nurnaeth Arnuidiad. Another casualty of the War of the Jewels is Finrod himself, who, in an attempt to save one of Aragorn's ancestors, was mortally wounded by one of Sauron's werewolves, hence the scars on his body. Later, when we join Galadriel on her hunt for Sauron, we see her armor is adorned with eight-pointed stars. The emblem for the House of Feanor is an eight-pointed star, and the other houses of the Noldor elves have variations of these stars. But I think for simplicity's sake on this show, all Noldor elves wear a similar icon as we can see throughout the season. And speaking of stars, when we see close-ups of Galadriel's eyes, she doesn't have the same starlight glimmer like what we see in Peter Jackson's trilogy. But I read this as symbolizing that the Galadriel we meet in the Rings of Power must still grow to become the wise leader we meet later on. The mountain stronghold where Galadriel finds Sauron's old forge could be Mount Gundabad, where the first dwarves awoke from under the ground. The show doesn't really clarify just how far north into the Faradwaith we are exactly, so it's a little difficult to tell. Here, though, Galadriel also mentions that Sauron is one whose hand is flame unquenched, which is bad for Gilgalad in the books because Sauron eventually kills Gilgalad with just the heat of his hands. Speaking of Gilgalad, let's move on to Linden. We get some excellent fireworks, which immediately bring to mind Gandalf, so maybe he picked up a few explosive tricks here and brought them to the Shire. <laughs> we also see numerous statues in the grove around Galadriel and Elrond. One statue is clearly Finrod. Behind him is who I'm guessing is King Thingol, wearing the Noglamir necklace and holding the dragon helm of Dor Loman. We also see an elf holding a sword, and I'm guessing that that's King Fingolfin holding his sword Ringle, with which he wounded Morgoth in battle. Next is Caligorm with the wolfhound Huon. Some people think this could be Luthien, but this elf wears a Noldor eight-pointed star, and Caligorm was also known for having long, fair hair. And lastly, we see another elf holding a spear. The only spear of note that I'm aware of is Gil-galad's spear, Aeglos, which we eventually see him carrying in episode eight and also wielding in the last alliance of elves and men. So that could make this statue one of his ancestors, either Angrod or Orodreth, depending on which version of Gil-galad's lineage you read. Let's leave Galadriel and the Noldor behind for a quick second and cover some last remaining Easter eggs that I really enjoyed in this episode. We see Bronwyn give Arondir Alfarin seeds. These seeds grow into the flowers that cover the graves of Theoden's ancestors in the two towers. Arondir's armor has the face of a tree, as the Sylvan Elves and many Sindar Elves also mostly inhabited the forests. And lastly, speaking of trees, we also get a quick glimpse at some Ents later on in the episode as the stranger flies overhead as a meteor. Whew, okay, that was just episode one, but let's see if we can rings of power through the rest of the season. Episode two shows us the biggest trust fund baby of the Elves, Celebrimbor, reminiscing about the hammer of his grandfather, Fanor. Elrond's clothing here includes feathery wings on his shoulders, evoking memories of his mother Elwing, who was transformed into a bird. Next, Elrond mentions the dwarves will greet him in Celebrimbor with salted pork, which is a favorite dwarven food. Salted pork. And then the dwarves that lead Elrond into Khazad-dûm wear masks of the Firebeard clan. This clan wore armor like this to charge straight into dragonfire without fear of getting burnt. The dwarves next refer to their god Aule, the great smith of the Valar, who created the dwarves out of his desire to teach his craft to others. Fashioned by Aule himself. Later, in Durin's home, we see his children playing in giant stone helmets, one of which is carved to look like the dragon helm of Dor Loman. 
This helmet was originally crafted by the dwarves in the first age and was gifted to Maethros, Feanor's eldest son. Maethros would then pass this on to Fingon, one of the other high kings of the Noldor, who would then pass it on to the House of Hador, the house of men who would rule over the region of Dor Lomim. The helmet would be given to King Thingol of the Elves to then grant it to the great hero, Turin Tarambar, when he came of age. Turin would wear this helmet during his terrifying and tragic battles against the orcs and Morgoth throughout Beleriand, which you can read more about in The Children of Hurin. Last big Easter egg I loved in episode 2 is the sculpture of the Eagle and Child, which is in reference to the Eagle and Child pub in Oxford, England. That's where Tolkien would meet with his writing friends, including C.S. Lewis. On to episode 3. We get our first look finally at the orcs in Rings of Power, including Vrath, played by Jed Brophy, a veteran among Lord of the Rings actors. What about them? fresh. Next, when we catch up with the Numenorians, we can see an arch at the bow of the ship, covered in wreaths. Numenorian wives would give wreaths to their husband's ships for safe travels. We can next see Elendil's armor, which looks to have Alsei and Uinen, who were Maya of the Sea and held in reverence by the Numenorians. In the Dungeons of Numenor, this statue here is most likely Uinen as well. As we enter the Bay of Romana in Numenor, we finally see the giant statue of Yarendil, with his wife Elwing transformed as a bird over his shoulder. Yarendil and Elwing are Elrond's parents. Yarendil was a half-elf who sailed to Valinor to petition the Valar to save Valerian and Middle-earth from Morgoth. In reward for his journey, Yarendil took a Silmaril and sails the night sky in his flying ship, Vingalot. Later on, we can see the statue has a crown similar to what Yarendil wore to hold the Silmaril on his forehead. Yarendil's star looks to be in the sky above him in the background. Later in this episode, Sadik Burroughs mentions he's heard of beings turning into stars, which most likely references Yarendil. Also in Numenor, we can see that the construction of Minas Tirith clearly took inspiration from the royal palace. The white tree Nimloth sits in the palace courtyard. Nimloth was a descendant of Telperion, the silver tree of Valinor, and would provide the seeds for the white trees of Gondor later on. In the distance, you can see Minoltarma, the great mountain peak in the middle of the island where the old kings of Numenor would pray to the Valar. Elendil and Galadriel travel to what seems like Andunie, the region of the island where the faithful reside. In fact, in the books, Valandil, either changed here for the show or just an entirely new character, was one of Valendil and Isildur's ancestors who founded the line of the Lords of Andunie. Next up, in episode 4, we get our first look at Adar, the Orc Daddy. As we'll learn later in episode 6, Galadriel explains a bit of the backstory of the Moriandor, the Sons of the Dark. While Moriandor is a new term to this lore, these elves must have been some of the very first elves when they all awoke in the far, far east on the shores of Cuivianen. Morgoth kidnapped some of these early elves and twisted them to become orcs. This would have been long before any times of war between the elves and Morgoth, so it's interesting here to see that Adar's armor has similar designs to what we later see on Gil-galads, and also the fact that Adar seems to know a lot about the elves of Valerian when he talks to Arondir. Down in the depths of Khazad-dûm, Elrond treks Durin to the old mine beneath the Miramir. The Miramir was a lake on the eastern side of the Misty Mountains. It was here that Durin the Deathless saw his reflection with a crown of stars, and there he began constructing Khazad-dûm. And, speaking of Durin the Deathless, we can see what I assume is Durin's axe, the great heirloom of Durin's folk. And my axe! In this scene, Durin III explains to Durin IV the legend of how Durin the Deathless will be reincarnated among his descendants. Back on Numenor, as Galadriel and Muriel prepare for war, Muriel jokes that Elendil is a runic emperor, referencing the land far to the east of Middle-earth, Rune. By this point in Middle-earth's history, Numenorians would have sailed all the way around to the far east, so it makes sense that Muriel knows of this distant land. Later, as Muriel leads Galadriel to the Palantir, we get our first look at Narsil before it was broken. Narsil was forged by the dwarves and became an heirloom for the faithful of the Numenorians. 
Behind Narsil, we can actually see a mural of Baron and Luthien stealing one of the Silmarils from Morgoth. Baron and Luthien would eventually pass this Silmaril down to their descendants, and this is the one that will end up with Earendil in the night sky. And lastly for this episode, I spotted some foreshadowing for the future Kings of Men, with the design of the Nine Rings around Tar Palantir's bed. Next, wandering into episode 5, we hear the beautiful song, This Wandering Day, sung by Poppy Proudfellow. The final line, not all who wander or wander are lost, echoes thousands of years later in Bilbo's poem about Aragorn. Gandalf would use this poem in a letter to Frodo to confirm Strider's identity when Frodo meets Aragorn in Bree. Next, the series finally introduces us to the mysterious characters tracking down the stranger, and we can immediately tell that they have something to do with Sauron because their staff looks like the floating eye that Sauron will become much later on. Episode 5 also gives us some blink-and-you'll-miss-it mentions, so here we go. We first hear of the stone giants of the North Moors. During a thunderstorm in The Hobbit, Bilbo saw giants playing a game of hurling boulders at each other. Next, we hear Gil-galad address Elrond as Parathel, which means half-elf. Elrond's ancestors are a mix of Noldor elves, Sindar elves, men, and even of the Maiar. And remember that his brother Elros was also a half-elf, but he chose to live his life as a mortal man. And lastly, in this episode, we can see Elendil's winged helm, which will influence the later styles of Gondor's crowns and helmets. Now, we get to episode 6. Before the big battle, during Adar's locker room pep talk, he mentions he and the orcs have traveled from the Arid Mithran to the Ethel Arnon, which basically means they've come all the way down from the Grey Mountains to the hills of Ithilien on their way to the Southlands. We also hear Arondir and Bronwyn preparing for war by planting seeds and recalling stories of Yavanna. She is the Vala of nature and of growing things. Bronwyn then steadies Theo with an inspirational speech that feels like a nod to King Theoden's speech to the warriors of Rohan in Helm's Deep. We then get another reference to the Battle of Helm's Deep with the arrival of the Numenorean cavalry, meant to evoke Gandalf and the Rohirrim arriving to turn the tides of battle. After the battle for the Southlands, Adar gives us a few more Easter eggs. First, his chase with Galadriel through the forest reminds me of the Ringwraiths chasing Arwen to Rivendell. When captured, Adar mentions he and the orcs are also creations of the One, referencing Eru Iluvatar and that they are masters of the secret fire, which is the spirit of life in all creations of Middle-earth. Lastly, Adar says Galadriel's search for Morgoth's heir should have ended in her own mirror, foreshadowing Galadriel's use of her own mirror and confronting her darker reflections in the Fellowship of the Ring. Okay, quickly, in episode 7, we get a strong hint that dwarven women do, in fact, have beards, which I know all of us have been wondering about ever since we heard Aragorn add to Gimli's description. It's the beards. Next, Sadik explains to the stranger where the Big Folk settlements are, and these groups of men are most likely part of the Northmen, which will eventually give us the Men of Dale and also the Aeothiad, the ancestors of the Rohirrim. And the last major Easter egg in this episode is Galadriel and Theo under the tree, hiding from the orcs. This is a visual reference to the Peter Jackson films, when Frodo and the Hobbits hide from the Ringwraith, which itself is an homage to Ralph Bakshi's 1978 animated film, The Lord of the Rings. And lastly, we've finally made it to episode 8, We've already broken down many of the references to Gandalf that we get from The Stranger in another video, which I'll link to at the end. But at the beginning of this episode, we immediately catch up with The Stranger in the Aaron Gallon. This is the forest known as Greenwood the Great, which would then be renamed to Mirkwood once Sauron retreated there in the Third Age. Next, as the cultists explain the Hermit's Hat constellation to The Stranger, they say it can only be seen in the Far East. This is because the world of Arda at this point is still flat and won't be made round until near the end of the Second Age, while a certain sinking of Numenor is happening. Speaking of Numenor, the little bit that we do get in the season finale has Farazhan fixating on immortality, something that will get him in trouble with the Valar much later on. And finally, we get to the actual forging of the Elven Rings of Power. 
right at the start of this episode, Halbrand, who we now know as Sauron, drops a big reference when he offers Celebrimbor a gift. In the books, Sauron disguises himself as Anatar, the Lord of Gifts, when deceiving the elven smiths to make the Rings of Power. We can then see the silhouette of a chain hanging over Celebrimbor, which is some pretty dark foreshadowing for his fate when Sauron first goes to war with the elves. And as the smelt of mithril, gold, and silver spins, we can see a glimpse of the Eye of Sauron, revealing his influence over the Rings of Power. Okay, that was a long one, leading us there and back again through season one of the Rings of Power. These may not have been every Easter egg and reference in the show, but they are certainly my favorites that I found. So please let us know in the comments below what else you spotted and if it made you pause to explain everything to everyone else watching. Oh, oh. Here I come. Oh, here I come. Oh. We'll keep you posted on all things Lord of the Rings and the Rings of Power over on Nerdist.com. But in the meantime, folks, tell us, what were your favorite moments from this season? Did you catch all of these Easter eggs the first time? And what have our eyes of Sauron missed? Thanks for watching, and for all of the latest and greatest in the world of pop culture, stay tuned to Nerdist.com.